Here's my disclaimer for you as we, as we jump into this text is, you are gonna hate this sermon. And uh, I know some of you are sitting here going, Dave, we hate your sermons every week. And I go, you know, touche, like this week you're in for a double portion. Like you're, you're gonna hate it. And, and if you think you're gonna hate listening to it, just imagine what it feels like to be the one giving it. And so, you know, I gave it this morning and people had to sit through it and then they all left and went to brunch and I had to give it again. And they sat through it and they had to go to lunch. And then I had to gear up knowing that I have to give this thing again tonight. And so yeah, as soon as you start feeling sorry for yourself tonight listening to it, just, just say a prayer for me because I'm the guy that has to keep giving it over and over and over because this is one of those sermons that, that if we're honest, we, we hate it because it points to this reality that I think every one of us, like deep in our spirit, we know it's true, we just don't want it to be true. And so for the next uh, few moments, I just want us to explore this, this uncomfortable unwanted, undesired, and yet undeniable connection that you see in the scriptures, this connection between our pain and the kingdom's progress. That there's this connection between pain and suffering and persecution and hardship and the progress of the kingdom both in us and around us in ways that if we're really honest, I think a lot of us know to be true, we just don't want it to be true. And so a lot of times we, we try to deny it we try to numb ourselves from that reality. We try to hide it. We, we, we try to kind of lift ourselves above it with Christian platitudes. But I think sometimes the, the complexity of life brings us into this reality that we know is true. And that is there is this deep connection between our pain and the progress of the kingdom of God, both within us and around us. I remember years ago, I was speaking at this conference and I come out of this little session that I taught and there was this, this guy that was walking by. He's an older gentleman. For years, I had respected this guy from a distance. I never met him before, just sort of a spiritual hero. And I didn't know if I'd ever get to meet him. He's a pretty old guy and I thought he may not live long enough for me to meet him. That's not a joke. It's just factual. You know, he was old and I didn't know how much longer he had on earth. And I see him walking by and I'm like, man, this is my moment. And so I remember kind of chasing him down and I introduced myself and I never get, he looked at me and he said, hey, let's just sit down and grab a cup of coffee. And I don't even drink coffee, but I thought, perfect, I'm gonna fake it. And so we grab a cup of coffee and we sit down at this table and for the next hour, we just talk life and marriage and ministry and just all this just like wonderful stuff. And so we get to the end of the conversation and I, I thought, man, I'm gonna get this guy to pray for me just to ask for some of his spiritual mojo to just kind of like rub off on me, you know? And so I'm like, hey, would you pray for him? And he said, I'd love to pray for you. And he said, what do you want me to pray? And so I just started going down the list. You know, this is about eight years ago. So I'd been married a few years. We just had our first son. He was a baby at the time. And, and I'm like, man, would you pray for my marriage? Would you pray for Micah? Would you pray for ministry? I'm just, those all start with an M. That's convenient. You know, I'm just like going through all those things. And, and uh, he looks at me in his old wrinkled hands. Once again, not a joke, just descriptive. He, he, he grabs my hands and he looks at me and he says, ah, here's what I want to pray for you. He says, I'm going to pray that God would wound you deeply. I'm like, bro, I'm gonna pray you have a heart attack. Like, like, what's that about? Like, and he gets all solemn and then he just starts praying and now I'm like trying to pray against him. It's like a prayer off, you know, and I'm like trying to like outpray this guy and I don't feel very confident because of his spiritual pedigree and stuff. And we get to the end of the prayer and I'm just like so perplexed and frustrated and confused. And it was one of those moments where he just begins to speak this reality into my heart that I never really wrestled with before. He said, Dave, there's this connection between a Christian's pain and the kingdom's progress that all of us deny. And he says, it is out of the wounded heart of God's men that the inner life of Jesus flows and is revealed to a world that so rarely sees it when we're all put together. 
And he says, my prayer is that the Lord would, would allow you to, to be wounded in such a way that the inner workings of Jesus would become visible to a world that needs to see it. And I thought, man, that's not what I want. <laughs> I don't want that to be true. Like, I don't know if that's true, but it, it sent me on this kind of quest, this discovery, and I, and I began realizing, I mean, you see this all throughout the scriptures that there is this undesirable, unwanted connectivity between our pain and the kingdom's progress. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think deep down we know it to be true, and so often we try to deny it, we try to run from it, we, we try to numb ourselves in the midst of it, but it doesn't make it any less true. And I think what we begin to see as we come to this kind of critical junction in the book of Acts is all of a sudden, we're gonna see the way that pain is gonna really enter into the Christian story through the early church, and it's gonna open up the door for the kingdom of God to progress in ways that they never would have imagined. Here's what I want you to hear tonight. Um, I, I am not a proponent. I am not here preaching that God is the one that brings about the pain in their story. And, and tonight I'm not here to, to try to decipher what is the source of all pain uh, and, and why does God allow it to happen. Tonight I wanna talk about what it is that God does in the midst of pain what it is that God promises in the midst of suffering, what it is that he promises in the midst of hardship and persecution, and how he has this way of swooping in and redeeming the things that we seem to believe are irredeemable all along. This is what you begin to see unfolding in the book of Acts. But before we can just jump to the book of Acts, we have to understand that everything we see working itself out in the book of Acts is ultimately a reflection of what's first come in the life of Jesus. Because the, the church is not just this gathering of people that are showing up on a Sunday and telling themselves stories of what life used to be like when Jesus was there. That wasn't the purpose of the church to sit in a room and to sing some songs and to reflect on what life used to be like. No, the church was not just there to, to, to remember the story of Jesus. The church was there to embody the reality of Jesus. And what you have to remember is this connectivity between pain and progress before it was seen in the early church, it was actually seen in the life of Jesus, right? That this was in the teaching of Jesus, and I'm just gonna go through this kind of quickly. You can go back and kind of dig into this on your own, but you see this all throughout the teachings of Jesus. I'll give you just kind of a few snippets of it. You know, one of the, the first areas we see this is in John chapter three, verse 15. It comes right before the most famous verse in the Bible that we put on poster boards at football games, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right before that beautiful verse that we all love to quote is this moment where Jesus begins to connect the dots for this religious guy named Nicodemus. He says, listen, there's a connectivity between my pain and the kingdom's progress. Jesus says to Nicodemus, in order for the world to experience life, I have to be lifted up on the cross. Jesus says, God's wanting to do something in the world. He's wanting to bring life. He says, but that life, that progress is gonna come only after I've been lifted up. He says, my pain is connected to their progress. Or you get later on into John chapter 12, verse 24, there's a moment where Jesus is talking about his own life. He says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies. He says it will never grow up into something more beautiful and real. And he begins to talk about this uncomfortable reality that in the kingdom of God, progress does not come through the scope and the lens of the American dream. Everything is not up and to the right. This quarter is not always better than the last. He says sometimes moving forward feels like 10 steps back. He says this is the way it works. There's this connection between pain and progress in the kingdom. And you see this in the teaching of Jesus, but not just in the teaching of Jesus, we see this in the very life of Jesus, right? You see this on the cross, this moment when he is 
being crucified, literally as his lifeblood is spilling out, it says that one of uh, the Roman soldiers that was literally executing Jesus, as he sees Jesus dying, all of a sudden his eyes are opened to the inner workings of God's heart and God's love for him for the first time ever. And he declares, surely this man is the son of God. That there is something about the way that Jesus died. There's something about his pain that opened the door to that soldier's progress in the kingdom of God. It's the old story about the missionary that served amongst an unreached people for 20 years and preached the gospel and preached the gospel and preached the gospel, but it wasn't until he died that the village came to Christ. And years later, they interviewed some of the village leaders and they said, we saw how he lived, but it wasn't until the way we watched him face death that we understand the message he is preaching that there's this connection, whether we want it to be true or not, between pain and progress. It's in the teaching of Jesus, it's in the ministry of Jesus, and ultimately, it's in the invitation of Jesus upon every one of us. So Jesus preaches in Mark chapter eight, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? Do you remember this story? And Peter gets it right. Peter says, oh, I know who you are. He says, we've figured it out. We've cracked the code. You're the Messiah, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, bingo, you hit the nail on the head. And and then Jesus starts talking to him plainly. He says, here's how I'm gonna step into my lordship. He says, says, my path into this promised reality is gonna be the pathway of pain. I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be rejected, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna raise from the dead. And do you remember what Peter said? Peter said, whoa, Jesus, that's the wrong story. That's the wrong script. This is Mark chapter eight, you can go back and read it. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And so Peter goes from being uh, you know, the, you know, the star people in the class to being classified with Satan. And Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, here's the deal. Any of you that wants to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross, you have to follow me. If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And there's this really interesting moment in Mark chapter eight where Jesus does not use the typical word for life there in the original language. He doesn't use the word Zoe, he used the word psyche, which is what we get our word psychology from. In other words, Jesus says, if you want to step into this brand new way of life, you have to put to death your worldview of what it means to be alive. In other words, the way forward sometimes feels like the way backward, and unless you embrace this uncomfortable connection between pain and progress, you'll never see the flourishing of the kingdom. It's almost like Jesus reaches across with his hands and looks us in the eyes, and he says, here's my prayer for you, is that you'd understand this unwanted, undesirable, uncomfortable connection between pain and progress in the kingdom of God. And this is what begins to unfold in Acts chapter eight. We've been looking at it over the last several weeks together. You know, the first few chapters of Acts, I mean, everything is spiritual breakthrough. Jesus is risen from the dead. They're pumped about that. He preaches for 40 days. He makes this bold promise that he's gonna send them the Holy Spirit to give them power. And the first several years of the story unfold with so much breakthrough. The church is growing. People are being healed. People are being saved. But you get to Acts chapter four. It's what we looked at a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, the breakthrough is being met with all sorts of spiritual battles. There's social oppression, there's physical oppression, there's internal oppression, there's relational relational oppression. And then you get to this moment in Acts chapter seven that we're not gonna read tonight, you can go back and read it, but all of a sudden the physical oppression raises to a level they could have never imagined and this man named Stephen, who was doing exactly what Jesus had asked him to do, 
is killed for his faith. He becomes the first Christian martyr. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the, the shot is fired across the bow. Something kind of seems to shift. And the rest of the book of Acts, from chapter 8 to chapter 28, is going to be defined by the reality that unfolds in this uncomfortable moment. And it's this moment that's going to be defined by this connectivity between pain and progress in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter eight, we're gonna start in verse one together. This takes place right after Stephen has been killed. And this is what it says. It says, on that day, a great persecution, uh, on the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That's where they'd been living, ministering, things were thriving. And it says, everybody except the apostles. These were Jesus' 12 closest friends, kind of the 12 key leaders, Everyone except them, they were scattered throughout Judea. That was kind of the, the county around Jerusalem and into Samaria. That was kind of like the extended county. And it says, verse two, godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He drug off both men and women and he put them in prison. Now, we're not gonna spend much time talking about Saul this week, but this is kind of like that moment in Star Wars where you get a glimpse of Darth Vader before he's Darth Vader. I mean, Saul is gonna be the guy that's gonna bring some real trouble for the church, but Jesus is gonna radically change him. We'll see this next week and we'll kind of dig into his story. But verse four, this is what it says. Those who had been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went, and Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I want you to look, look at that last verse again. It says, and because of all of this, there was great joy in that city. I want you to say that with me. There was great joy in that city. Great joy in the city. This is where the story begins to unfold. And I want you to see this connection between the pain of God's people and the progress in the city all around them. Now you gotta kind of imagine the story. And this is one of the tensions that I think we feel thousands of years later in a place like Nashville, Tennessee, reading a story like this. Is for so many of us, this is a distant reality. This idea of faith leading to pain, faith leading to persecution, suffering, hardship, but you know, one of the, 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 the tensions that I've realized is this is a story that touches all of us, even if we can't find ourselves right in the midst of what's going on in Acts 8. You know, just last night, uh, Sydney and I, my wife, we were at a birthday party for a kid in our neighborhood, and one of the families that showed up at this birthday party, um, they moved to the city just a few years ago from Baghdad, and I'm, I'm asking the story, like, hey, how'd you end up in Nashville, you know, and I'm so used to kind of the normal responses, it's always the same thing, a girl or music or a girl and music, and that's why everybody comes to Nashville, you know, but I'm asking, how'd you end up in Nashville, and and he just looks at me and he said, he said, because ISIS came to the area that we were living and he said, we were facing extreme persecution and we thought we'd die. And I was like, whoa. And he, said, he said, here we are. He said, we left everything. We left jobs, we left our home, we, we left our family, we, we left everything. And he said, and now we're here in a new city trying to learn a new language, starting all over, trying to find work, trying to do all these things. And He's telling me a story, and I thought, man, this is a picture of what's going on in Acts chapter eight. These men and women, they're being faithful to Jesus. In the city, they're doing exactly what God had called them to do, and all of a sudden, this pain, this persecution shows up, and they begin to scatter. They're leaving jobs, they're leaving homes behind, they're leaving friends behind, and they go, have you ever had one of these moments where you did exactly what you thought God was calling you to do, and it put you in a situation you never thought you'd be in? 
where you did something that was right and it, and it leads you in a predicament that you didn't want to be in. And this is what's going on in Acts chapter eight. And there's all these things that I think we could take from this story, but there's just a couple of takeaways that I wanna kind of hold on to tonight. And then I wanna try to bring it down to the ground as we think about what it means to process pain and suffering and persecution in regards to progress in the kingdom of God. And so if you take notes, here's kind of the first thing that I was noticing this week as I kept just kind of saturating myself in the story in Acts chapter eight. Number one is this, is that so often, the power of God is seen most clearly in our seasons of pain, not in our seasons of strength. So often uh, the, the power and the promises of God are most clearly seen in our seasons of pain, not in our seasons of strength. I love this. You look back at the beginning of the verse. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out, verse one, against the church in Jerusalem. And everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, Samaria. And then you get down in verse four. It says, wherever they go, they preach the word and they're healing the sick and demons are being cast out. And here's, here's what struck me is all of a sudden the, the disciples, they begin to see the outworking of God's power not in this moment of strength, but in this moment of pain. And have you, have you ever noticed the way that this, this works? Sometimes pain pushes us into these places that we would have never chosen to go. But it's only there when we're in these places that we would have never chosen to go that we see the power of God manifest so clearly in us. This is how the book of Acts starts. You remember Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus looks at the disciples he says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit fills your life and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the place they were living, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And don't you know that there's just at least one of the apostles who was type A, he was a planner. And he's like, Jesus, we've never traveled more than 60 miles from the place we were born. How are we gonna to get to Judea? How are we gonna to get to Samaria? How are we gonna to get to the ends of the earth? And here's what I want you to notice. There's this moment in their journey where they, they get to exactly where Jesus told them they were gonna be. But they don't get there through planning. They don't get there through a missions committee. They don't get there through their strategy. They get there through this moment of unwanted, undesired pain. And pain comes in and pushes them to a place they never would have chosen to go. But when they find themselves in the place they never wanted to go, the power of God shows up in ways they could have never imagined. And I believe this is a prophetic word for some of you tonight. Some of you are in a season that you would have never chosen. You're never chosen. You would have never prayed for it. You would have never wished for it. But pain came knocking at your door. It showed up. Suffering came knocking at your door in a way that you wouldn't have imagined. And it's gonna be in this season of pain that God is gonna give you your most significant ministry. And it's not what you'd want. And it doesn't even make it necessarily easier. <laughs> but it's this unusual reality. It's this unusual connection between our pain in the progress of the kingdom. And here's, here's where I think we have to be careful is sometimes in these seasons of pain, I believe the enemy comes and he begins to speak these lies to us. And if we're not careful, we begin to, to, to believe some lies. And one of the most significant lies in these seasons of pain, I believe, is we start to believe the lie that our pain, our suffering, our persecution is proof that God has abandoned us. 
We begin to believe that our pain is, is proof that God is displeased with us. And here's what I want you to hear me clearly. Sometimes our pain is proof that God is displeased. Sometimes we do some really stupid things that bring pain into our life, right? Like you, we do some stupid stuff that brings about pain, but, it, but I just wanna just speak this as clearly as I know how to. Your pain is not always synonymous. Your pain is not always synonymous with God's displeasure. In fact, a lot of times you can be right in the center of God's will for your life in experiencing pain and suffering that you would have never wished. I mean, Jesus, when Jesus was dying on the cross, was Jesus in the middle of God's love? You can talk back to me. Was Jesus in the middle of God's love when he was on the cross? Absolutely. Was, was Jesus in the middle of God's will when he was dying on the cross? Absolutely. Was, was Jesus proof of God's displeasure when he was dying on the cross? Absolutely not. Jesus, the greatest, most perfect man that ever lived, is proof that a human being can find themselves in the middle of unthinkable, undeserved, undesirable pain and be right in the middle of God's pleasure. There he was. And so often we begin to believe this, but here's what I believe is it's in these seasons, it's kind of this first big idea, it's in these seasons of pain that the power of God's promises so often are most clearly seen. I remember years ago, right after our second son, Jack, was born, you know, we'd been parents uh, you know, for a couple of years, we had Micah, our oldest son, and then Jack had been home from the hospital for two days. And I remember in the middle of the night, he, he starts crying, and uh, we were by no means parenting experts, and we still are not parenting experts. In fact, the longer we do this, the more sure I am that I know nothing about parenting. But, you know, we, uh, we had been parents long enough to know that Jack's cry in the middle of the night was not a normal cry. And so I remember we get up, and we're trying to check his vital signs, and things just didn't seem normal. And so we called uh, the doctor in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, and he tells us some things to do, and I'll never forget, he says, hey, get in the car, meet us at Vandy ER as quickly as you can get there. Just a scary moment. We get, we get in the car, and we're, we're driving down there as, as fast as we can, and, and we get there for the next several days. It was a pretty terrifying experience. We didn't know if he was gonna make it at times. There were some moments that were kind of touch and go, and by the grace of God, the story ends really well, and he's doing great, healthy uh, six-year-old boy now, but uh, there, 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 this moment that was terrifying, and I'll never forget this one evening. We're there in the hospital, and we become friends with the night nurse, who every night would come in and serve our family and would serve Jack. And I'll never forget what she said. She's a follower of Jesus, and she said, "She said the longer I serve in the NICU unit, she said the longer I serve here, she said the more convinced I am that I don't know why such tragic things happen to good people." She said, "I don't understand the why." She said, "But, I, but I have become more convinced of the what." And, the, and what I mean by the what is the what it is that God does in the midst of the pain. She says, because when, when God brings in godly people that are going through these unthinkable moments of pain and suffering, she says, he displays the power and the beauty of the gospel throughout the hospital in ways that a thousand of my messages to the nurses and the doctors could ever do. She said, there's something about these moments of pain that reveal, that reveal the, the beauty of God's power. Now, in that moment, did, did that make me feel better? No. Like, like, like I wasn't sitting there going, well, thank God my kid's sick. Like, makes me feel better. But I go, Is, isn't that true? Have you ever experienced this? That sometimes the power of God is seen most clearly in these seasons of pain. I think about one of our neighbors who is an older gentleman and over the last couple of years has tragically lost two of his adult children in death. And yesterday, as I'm working in my yard, he, he walks across the street, comes into my driveway, and just tears in his eyes. He says, Dave, last night, my youngest daughter was tragically killed in a car accident. 
And he says, would you pray for me as I try to go back into my house and minister to her teenage children and the rest of my family is trying to make sense of this. And I'm just watching this man. I go, the why doesn't make sense. And anytime I try to hear anybody make sense of the why, it's frustrating almost. But what I keep seeing in his life is the undeniable, clear power of God showing up in these unbelievable moments of pain. And so what I see here in Acts chapter eight, there's this moment where the church is in this season they would have never wanted, never asked for, never prayed for, never dreamt of, wouldn't been a part of the strategy, and yet all of a sudden the power and the promises of God is gonna come through so clearly. But it's not just the power of God that is seen clearly in the moment. The second thing that struck me, the second thing that struck me is that in the aftermath of pain, in the aftermath of pain, the redemptive story of Jesus is seen more clearly than it is when you're going through it. That's kind of the second big idea, that in the aftermath of pain and suffering, the redemptive story of Jesus is seen more clearly than when you're going through it. I love what you see unfolding. You know, the beginning of Acts chapter eight, verse one, it says the church is, is deeply wounded. They're in pain, they're suffering, they're struggling, they're mourning. But you get to verse eight, it says, but the city ends up with this incredible joy of the gospel coming to them. And what I love is I never really noticed this before. I never really thought about it. But my friend Douglas, as we were talking through the text this week, he just made this statement. He said, what's so powerful to me, Dave, is that you know, Luke, the guy that was writing down the book of Acts, he wasn't writing it down in real time. He was writing it kind of in the rearview mirror. And he says, only somebody with the perspective of time could write about that moment in the city with such clarity that there's something that comes in the aftermath of pain that so clearly reveals the redemptive story of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes in the season, you can't make sense of all of it. But you start looking back and you go, man, what was going on there? I see it. I remember almost 19 years ago, my mom battling cancer. And in the moment, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. But man, I look back and I see the fingerprints of God everywhere. And I'd never pray for it. I would never want that. I would never desire it. But I look back and I go, man, I see the redemptive story of Jesus in ways that I never understood before we went through that unbelievable season together. And isn't this the way that the kingdom of God progresses? You know, there's something interesting to me about this word aftermath. I was eating breakfast with one of my friends this week. And I was just talking about the aftermath, the pain in our life. And he said, Dave, have you ever looked up that definition before? And I never looked up the definition of the word aftermath. In fact, it has two definitions. One of them is what you would expect. And here's kind of the first definition that aftermath literally means the after effects of a tragic and unwanted event. The after effects of the tragic or unwanted event. And so what you're gonna see in the rest of the book of Acts are the after effects of this tragic, unwanted event of Stephen being killed in the church. But the, set, the second definition of aftermath really struck me this week. It was actually an agricultural term. And it's the second definition that, to me, I think really gives life to what's going on in Acts chapter eight. And it's this, it's the, it's the, the growing up of new grass after a field has been cut too low. You go back to the beginning of Acts chapter eight, verse one, it says, after the persecution broke out, the church was scattered. That word scattered, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter four, where he talks about seeds being scattered along the path. And there's this beautiful moment here in Acts chapter eight where it says the church is not just experiencing the after effects of a tragic event, they're experiencing the new growth that is popping up after something has been cut too low. 
You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Southern California, and I was in the place where the wildfires came through last fall. And there's this one day where I hiked up on top of this hill. I'll call it a mountain to make the story more, you know, meaningful. But I'm up on the side of this hill, and I'm looking out over the ocean, and there's this tree that had just been charred and burned and just kind of left there. But all around it are these beautiful flowers, wildflowers going up everywhere. I thought, man, that is a picture of the kingdom of God. That at times, these, these like unwanted fires, they just come roaring through. And they come burning through, but by the grace and the mercy of Jesus, what is left in the aftermath is new growth. And the truth is, none of us would ever wish for this. None of us would ever desire this. We don't want it. We don't always understand it. But you see this over and over and over throughout the scriptures in the kingdom of God, that there is this connection between pain and progress in the kingdom, both within us and all around us. But this is the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel is that in Christ, one, one day Jesus will return. This is what Revelation 21 verse five declares, is that when he returns, he will make all things new. Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be put back in its place. Everything that has been broken will be restored. And all of a sudden, Jesus will begin to connect the dots between all of the sorrow, the heartache, the pain, the stuff that doesn't make sense, this side of the story. It's what Jesus does, but in the midst of it, the, the hope of the Christian is not that we get around our Acts chapter eight moments. It's that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus, we don't just get through them, but we grow up into the kingdom in the midst of them. You know, it's what Psalm 23 declares. Remember Psalm 23? We love the first part of Psalm 23. We slap that on a mug, put that on a t-shirt, put that on a Christian calendar. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides my feet in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's like, whoa, we love it. But man, the next part of the Psalm, we hate that Psalm, right? Like we hate the second part of Psalm 23. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? Help me out. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of? Death. Oh, don't you hate that? Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That Psalm sucks. I hate it. Because that's not what we want. That's not what we want. Here's what I want Psalm 23 to say. You'll guide my feet in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and then you will fly me over the valley of the shadow of death, and I will see it from a distance, <laughs> and I will learn a lesson from a distance. But the invitation of the Christian life is not just to affirm the cross or to celebrate the cross or to acknowledge the cross. It's to embrace the cross-shaped life. And Psalm 23 reminds us of this reality, that Jesus doesn't lead us above the valley of the shadow of death, or around the valley of the shadow of death, but he takes our hand and he walks through it with us. And he doesn't just walk through it with us, but he sits down in the middle of it and he sets up a picnic. Here in the presence of my enemies, I set up a table. I'm like, no, I don't want to eat in the presence of my enemies. Jesus, kill my enemies. Then let's have a feast on the other side of the valley. I know you guys are more spiritual than me and you never think that. But I read this psalm and I go, that's the cry of the psalm. And it's the tension of the Christian journey that we don't get around it, but we go through it, but we don't go through it alone. We go through it in the presence of the one that faced 
the most unthinkable suffering. He faced it all the way to its end, to its conclusion, and he came out victorious, and he said, you can trust me in the midst of this. Listen, church, whatever you are going through, Christ has conquered, and you're not alone. Just a couple of quick handles, and then we'll take communion, and we'll, we'll end with some songs together. So what do we do with pain and persecution and suffering in the midst of this journey that we're on with Jesus? Just a couple of quick things. Number one, we don't fear it. We don't fear it. We don't fear it. Remember years ago after uh, that man prayed over me, do you know what I did for like the next six months? I feared everything. I'm like, Lord, my wife's gonna die. My kid's gonna die. Like everything's gonna fall apart. This guy just prayed that I'd be wounded. Like this is terrible. And then I just kept thinking about the words of Jesus. Remember John 16, we studied it a few weeks ago where Jesus tells the disciples all the things that's getting ready to happen to him and all the things that's getting ready to happen to them. And he says, I'm telling you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I love that Jesus says, here's, here's your security, here's your strength, is that in the midst of a world that is shaking, walk closely with me and in friendship with me, you'll have peace. You'll have peace because I've overcome the things you fear the most. Like when it comes to pain and suffering and persecution and hardship, what do we do? Number one, we don't fear it. Why? Because Christ, the one that is with us and in us and among us is the overcomer. We don't fear it. Num number two, we don't deny it. We don't deny it. Remember years ago, being at a funeral uh, for one of my friends, his dad passed away, and so he's preaching his father's funeral, and he's weeping all the way through the funeral. And about halfway through the funeral, he says, guys, these tears are not tears of sadness, they're tears of joy because I know where my dad is. And I'm like, dude, that's such a lie. Like, like I know you, it's okay to be sad. Did you know it's okay to be sad and be a follower of Jesus? Did you know it's okay to suffer and be a follower of Jesus, don't have it all together? Like, did you know it's okay? Like, you can be faithful and confused. You can be faithful and discouraged. You can be faithful and heartbroken. It's what you see unfolding here at the beginning of Acts chapter eight. It says Stephen dies and it says they mourn him deeply. I think sometimes, you know, the world numbs themselves from pain with all sorts of substances and all sorts of escape mechanisms. One of the ways that we as a church deny the reality of our pain is we just, we comfort each other with little sayings and little quips and false emotions. And sometimes the best thing to do is to enter all the way into what it is that's happening. What do we do with pain and suffering and hardship? Well, man, we, we don't fear it. Number two, we don't deny it. Number three, we don't expect to understand it this side of heaven. We don't expect to understand it. Remember what happened uh, to Job? If, if, you know, one of the most confusing and sometimes frustrating moments in the scriptures is the book of Job. He's this really godly man. He goes through this season of suffering and all of his buddies who are just well-intentioned friends are trying to explain to Job why it is that he's suffering. And the more they try to explain his pain, the more they mess up Job's theology. And so there's this moment where Job comes to God and he kind of puts God on trial. He's like, God, you've got to explain this circumstance that I'm going through. And it's, if I'm just being honest, I'm not being the pastor here, I'm just being a friend. Man, one of the most frustrating moments is the book of Job for me. Because what we want is we want God to, to stoop down at the coffee table and to explain the why behind Job's what. But God doesn't do that. God looks at Job, and this is essentially what he says. This is a, a paraphrase. He says, Job, who are you to think that if I explained the reason, you would be smart enough to understand it? 
He says, I'm God. Get in line. And Job goes, forgive me, Lord. And there's this reality. It just makes us uncomfortable. I think sometimes in the midst of suffering and pain, we just go, man, if only I understood it, it would, it would help me. And I think sometimes we just have to, to release ourselves of understanding the why, and we have to start fixing our eyes on the who. And the who, the, the who of God that is in the midst of it, that's with us, among us. We, we don't fear it. We don't deny it. We don't expect to understand it. Number four, we don't compare it. We don't compare it. Have you ever had one of those moments where you compare your suffering with somebody else's suffering? <laughs> like, you know, your life is falling apart and you look at your friends and everything's going well and you're just like angry at them in the name of Jesus. Or, like, you know, I hate that their life is so good. You know, Lord, smite them too. Why do I have to be the only one that's miserable? You know, <laughs> maybe you've never felt that before. Or have you ever been in one of those moments where maybe you're experiencing pain and suffering, but you see somebody else and their life is worse than yours and you don't know what to do about it? It does us no good to compare our suffering, our hardship, our pain. Comparison is the thief of joy. What we do is we comfort and we carry one another. I love that moment in John 21 where Jesus looks at Peter. He says, Peter, I want you to serve my church. This is the calling on your life. And Peter's like, I'm down for that calling. And Jesus says, hey, this calling, just so you know, it's gonna one day cost you your life. And Peter does what my boys so often do. He turns to Jesus and he says, whoa, Jesus, it's gonna cost me my life. What about my buddy over here? Is it gonna kill him too? And Jesus, do you remember what Jesus says to him? He says, he says, Peter, don't worry about what it is that I'm gonna do to him. You walk the path that I've set out for you. And I think this is, this is the question of discipleship. Will you walk the path that Jesus has invited you to walk? We don't fear it. We don't deny it. We don't expect to understand it. We certainly don't compare it. And last but not least, number five, we don't allow it to steal our life purpose. Listen, your pain will undeniably shape you, but it does not have to define you. Does pain shape you? Of course it shapes you. It grows you up. It, it, it makes you a tree planted by streams of water. Like, it, it strengthens you to the core in ways that you would never wish or want. It shapes you, but it doesn't have to define you. And here, here's what I love that begins to unfold in Acts chapter eight is this church, they are scattered by their pain. They're scattered by the persecution. They're scattered by the suffering, but they're not defined by it. It doesn't steal their life purpose. It says wherever they go, they proclaim the name of Jesus with great joy. They cast out demons. They, they heal the sick. They realize that, man, the enemy could steal their health. The enemy could steal their life, but he could not steal their calling. And I go, this is true over you. Man, there's, there's things that the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but he cannot take your calling. He cannot take the purposes of God upon your life. And so what often he tries to do is he comes to try to steal your joy so you will forfeit your calling. He steals your strength so you will walk out of your purposes that God has called you to. And just this reminder that you see unfolding, not just in Acts chapter eight through the, the end of the story, is that God uses this moment that they would have never planned for, that they would never pray for. He uses it for his glory, for the good of the church, 
and for the joy of a city who would have never seen the reality of the gospel had the pain not come into the church in Jerusalem. I go, man, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't even know what's going on uh, across our church, but here's what, here's what I believe is that God is gonna manifest his power sometimes, not in our seasons of strength, but in our seasons of pain. And we may not even understand it in the moment, but it'll be in the aftermath. It'll be in the rearview mirror. As we look back, we begin to see his redemptive fingerprints everywhere. And as a community, as, as we begin to hold on to this reality that we don't fear it and we don't deny it and we don't expect to understand it and we certainly don't compare it and by all means, we won't let it steal our purposes that we keep moving forward in the kingdom of God. And together we become this family, unstoppable, unshakable, unmovable, no matter what may come, no matter who may come, because Christ is with us. And so how do, we, how do we pray into this as we go into communion? Just kind of this picture that I wanna give you, three concentric circles, and then I'm gonna send you to the bread and to the table. Uh, number one, for some of us tonight, as we take the communion, uh, I'm just gonna invite you to pray for the pain and suffering of people in the world. All across the world, we see marginalized people getting uh, getting persecuted, getting wounded, getting hurt. And maybe this is what God is stirring up in your heart tonight that we believe as followers of Jesus that every human being is made in the image of God, that every created life has dignity. And for some of you, this is gonna be the place, the place that you wanna pray into for those that are experiencing pain and suffering in the world. For some of you, maybe it's, it's not the world, maybe it's the persecuted church. You know, millions of followers of Jesus all around the world. In fact, uh, especially in our morning gatherings, we have some people that have ended up in Nashville and in our church, they have come here from countries in which they experience physical persecution. And so for tonight, maybe for you, the thing that you wanna pray into is for our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters that are being persecuted all over the world. And maybe this is the prayer point where you wanna pray for God's power to show up in these places of pain. But for some of you, it's not what's going on in the world. And for some of you, it's not what's happening in the persecuted church. For some of you, it's what's happening right here in this room. It's your pain, it's your suffering, it's your heartache, and you need the touch of God in your life. I just wanna invite you, man, how can we pray for those things? There's some of you in here tonight, you're not followers of Jesus, and man, we wanna serve you. We wanna connect you with counselors. We wanna get you in right step with ministry. But here's the reality, more than anything, we wanna introduce you to the one who can bring all redemption to every moment of pain and suffering in your life. And this is the promise of Romans 8, 28, that God works for the good of everyone who, listen to this, loves him, and walks according to his purposes. That if you want to, to experience the reality of redemption in the midst of all pain, it doesn't come just because you're a human being and you just exist and make it all the way through the end of life. The redemption of pain comes through the Redeemer, Christ Jesus himself. And yes, I wanna connect you with the counselor. Yes, we wanna help you with all sorts of resources. But more than anything, I want you to know the one that heals and brings life in the midst of all suffering. Man, we'd love to talk with you tonight. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna invite you to stand up with me right now. Let's stand together. And here in this moment, I'm gonna send you to the, to the communion table to get the bread and to get the cup. And every week when we break the bread and when we take the cup, we're being reminded of the truth of this tension between pain and progress. We're being reminded that in Jesus' death, that's what his body uh, the bread and his blood, the cup represent. In Jesus' death, his pain led to our progress. And every week when we break this, we're not just reminded of what came to us, we're, 
we're reminded of the story that we're being invited into. And so I wanna invite you to get the bread and the cup and come back to your seats to circle up and to spend some time praying over one of these areas, the world, the church, or what's going on right in here. If you wanna receive prayer, if you wanna to come to Christ, there's some men and women at the Respond Banner, we'd love to pray with you. Let me pray a blessing over you. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the beautiful reality the reality by which you swoop into the uncomfortable, unthinkable connection between our pain and the, the kingdom's progress. God, I just declare in the name of Jesus that you are not the source of pain and evil and brokenness in the world. That is the enemy who has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. You're the one who has come to give life and life to the fullest. But Lord, we live in a broken world and in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bring redemption, not just in the world and not just in the church, but in this room, in every place of pain and brokenness, that you would write new stories, that you would bring new healing, that your promises and your power be seen in new ways for your glory, for our good, and for the joy of the city that we call home. In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen.